Savage Dragon is endorsing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on a variant cover of on next month's issue. That leads me to ask, who would win in a presidential race between Captain America and Superman? Uh, Tabitha, you had feelings about this this morning when I told you guys about my question, so we're going to start with you this week. So you posed this question, and like the first thing I thought was like, Superman doesn't qualify; he's not an American citizen. And like all those people all up in arms saying Obama didn't shouldn't have been president. Like Superman's an alien, a no, literal alien, like a literal alien from a literal different planet. Like, ain't nobody gonna. You can't even legally vote for Superman. Also, Captain America's name literally has America in the title, and yes, so Captain America. Uh. Matt, I think I see what kind of shirt you're wearing, so I <laughs> feel like you already have your answer, but... Yeah, I mean, well, we definitely know that Captain America uh, reaches the age requirement. Um, I don't know, does Superman reach, you know, does, does he accept, you know, age, age requirement? Is he, is he 43 years old? Do we know? It doesn't matter, he's an alien. Um, <laughs> yes, Captain America. <laughs> uh I am going with Superman for two reasons. Uh, one, I feel like his, you know, all about being for truth, justice, and the American way would resonate well with battleground states. Um, also, I'm not saying that Superman would do this because I don't think that he's that type of person, but a super PAC would absolutely run negative campaign ads because Captain America was part of Hydra. I feel like that would hurt Captain America. But Superman is an alien. He doesn't qualify. I want to see his birth certificate. Oh, wait, he doesn't have one. <laughs> he has one. He probably just can't read it. Right. <laughs> it's in Kryptonian. <laughs> all the records are destroyed, Matt. Oh, that's it. They all burned in the fire. You're listening to The Geek Awakens with Mitch, Matt, Tabitha, Lydia, and Ticket. All right, so we have a lot of big things that happened this week. And Matt, uh, I'm going to start with you tonight because we've got some news about Microsoft Microsoft and Bethesda. I tried to combine yep. the two. I mean, that's exactly what happened. So you might as well just, you know, what, what's their what's their ship name? Bathsoft. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds too much like bath salt, and we don't really need to be, be reminded of you know those days. Mm. No, we don't need anything else like that, especially this year. <laughs> Um, so yeah, earlier this week, uh, Microsoft announced that for $7.5 billion, they are buying ZeniMax Media, which is the parent company of uh, Bethesda and companies like id Software. So Microsoft, once this deal is completed, they're assuming somewhere between January and June of next year, this will like be official, official. Um, Microsoft will own the software developers that have created Doom, Fallout, Elder Scrolls, Quake, Wolfenstein, Dishonored, among others. Um, I saw something that it like it takes the number of like software studios that Microsoft runs and operates from like a little more than a dozen to like almost two dozen. It's, I mean, this is, this is huge for Microsoft. Um, there are some people in the gaming community that are already kind of scared about this um, just because it, it puts a very large, very well-known publisher in cahoots with Microsoft. Um, and this is a publisher that has been independent for the entire time that they've been a thing. Um, but um, the, some of the, the reports are saying that a large part of this um, deal has to do with the Game Pass that is going to be a thing for Xbox 
um, instead of like the Xbox Live. Um, so like the Bethesda games are going to be available for this Game Pass, some of them as early as day of release, um, both for the Xbox system and for like when these games are set to release in the future. The good news that I have found about this is that Microsoft at this point has put out a statement basically saying that when it comes to running and operating Bethesda and the other studios in regards to their, uh, I, their, their IPs and the other products, um, that Microsoft plans to, quote, leave it alone, which is great news for the gaming community because you're going to, like, I forget exactly which company it was, but one of the bigger studios a while back bought a smaller studio that got super popular because of one of their games. Um, and when they took over, they tried to force a sequel to a very popular game and the sequel was complete trash. Um, so like, you know, there was always, there's always concern that Microsoft is just going to try and force things in regards to money, not for the quality of the product. Um, Bethesda has also said that they will continue to publish their own games. So instead of Microsoft being the publisher, Bethesda will, uh, you know, publish them kind of like, you know, movie studios mm -hmm. when they actually send their films to theaters. Um, there was some concern over the exclusives, um, because Bethesda has done both for Xbox and for PlayStation. Um, there are two that are currently listed as PlayStation 5 exclusives, and according to Bethesda, they will remain PlayStation 5 exclusives. Uh, Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, uh, because the deal is already in place, they will not change that. Those will remain PlayStation 5 exclusives. Um... And then as far as future exclusives, whether it's Fallout or Quake or Wolfenstein, um, those will be evaluate, evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis. So I, this is huge as far as the gaming industry goes. Like this is not only just monetarily, but in general. Like Bethesda is an absolutely gigantic studio and to fall under the purview of Microsoft is interesting and a little frightening at the same time, but we'll see how it all plays out when they actually finalize the deal. You know, I'd say that it's more terrifying than anything. I mean, sure. Short term, they'll be like, Oh yeah. You know, we're not going to stick our hands in the cookie jar, but like, and I'm not necessarily knocking Microsoft specifically, but like we know how these things work eventually yeah. the hand is going to go into the cookie jar. Yeah. It, it may not even happen this decade, but it will happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's happened in other cases. Um, like the one that I mentioned, I can't think of the studio names that were involved in that one, but I know that like when Activision bought Blizzard, they screwed with a few things that Blizzard had been doing. And it was like Blizzard had been successful, like extremely successful all on their own as essentially a small studio. And a couple of the things that micro or that Activision like made Blizzard do were abysmal. And that's, you know, again, like the concern here too. Yeah. I mean, time, time will tell. And I mean, obviously with Xbox, Microsoft knows games. So yeah. hopefully they won't screw things up, but I don't know. On the surface, the, the pessimist in me is like, Ooh. yeah, exactly. Unsurprisingly, um, Disney and Marvel have moved around the MCU schedule again, thanks mm -hmm. to COVID. Uh, so Black Widow, which was originally going to come out uh, May 1st of this year, has been pushed back again. Now it's going to be uh, May 7th of 2021. So now... She'll be widowed for a whole year. Um, uh, Eternals moves uh, from February 12th, 2021 to November 5th of that year. And then Shang-Chi is the one that's kind of like the least affected. Uh, it's moving from May 7th, 2021 to July 9th. So uh, I am perfectly okay with this because this means that they're not going to Mulan us 
and say, hey, you can watch Black Widow now for an extra $30 on top of uh, <laughs> however much you pay for Disney Plus already. Like, so if they're, as long as they're not going that route, I'm okay waiting. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I am okay with it because ugh, as much as I want a new MCU movie this year, it doesn't feel right not seeing an MCU movie in the theaters. Right. And, you know, as we've kind of discussed, like, I'm not really ready to go sit in the theater yet. Um, but Black Widow from the trailers that we have seen that they've released is definitely one of those that you will want to see in the theater. And plus, I mean, at least with this pause, it kind of makes sense with the MCU. I mean, it's not like this pandemic happened between Infinity War and Endgame. Mm -hmm. True. If that was the case, then I would be telling Disney, okay, fine, take $100 out of me so I can watch this on Disney Plus, even though I already pay for Disney Plus. <laughs> I need to see the end of the story. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, it, 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 we're kind of at a pause anyway. So it's like, I'm okay with it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, something I feel like I'm not going to be okay with. Um, Tabitha, you've got something about uh, a possible classic book band coming out of California. Oh, yeah. So the Burbank School District in Burbank, California, got a letter from the National Coalition Against Censorship because the school district was trying to ban classic novels. You know, we have this happen every couple of years. The old standby books that people try to ban, Huck Finn, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, there it is. Um, so their own policy states that a challenged book cannot actually be banned or removed from the curriculum um, until a decision has been reached. So if like a parent or somebody comes to the school and like complains, the book can't be removed from the curriculum until there's been a school board vote on it. But then they, like, after the complaint was made, they instructed the teachers to remove it from the curriculum. Oh. So they broke their own rule. So I could go off on a 20-minute tangent, but I'm not going to. So I'm just going <laughs> to read you my, my favorite chunk of the NCAC letter that they wrote to the uh, Burbank County uh, School District. While parents can opt their students out of reading these books, students who are prevented from reading classic text with the benefit of guided analysis by professional educators can never opt in. Mm. I get mm. that there are problematic elements to these books. There are problematic elements to basically everything. But the goal in reading books like this where there are problematic elements is to talk about those problematic elements and discuss them and to point out why they're problematic and to talk about how it could have been done differently had the book been written in a different time but these are classic novels you are looking at a time when these <laughs> it's a terrible thing but they were normal like they were normalized and if you just read the book without having a discussion about it. I, I think it's very harmful. Um, but if you read the book in a school atmosphere with an educator and your peers around you to discuss it, I think it's important. And I'm gonna need the Burbank County School District to just calm down. Stop trying to ban books, don't ban books. <laughs> and plus like, you know, take To Kill a Mockingbird for instance. Yes, that makes, that book made me uncomfortable reading it in middle school, but that is the point of To Kill a Mockingbird is to make you feel uncomfortable and to make you feel that, hey, these things that are going on are not okay. So yes, yeah, so, I mean, I feel like without, without that, then like students are missing a vital point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like if it's like, at one point, didn't they try and like uh, edit some of these classic oh, yeah. texts to remove the offending parts. Like that's part of what makes them a classic is that it brings up a discussion about these social issues or primarily social issues that are the reason for the hubbub. Right. But if anything, I'd like to ban the word hubbub. Yeah. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of that word. Either. Sorry. I couldn't come up with anything better. I have a hard time saying it, and maybe that's why. So, some of those words for me that, like, if I have to say it, 
I'll try to figure out a way to work around it so I don't have to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we've got a couple press releases that I want to bring up briefly before we get into some reviews. So uh, Vault has announced uh, a new uh, book. It's a literary horror story called The Picture of Everything Else. It's from writers Dan Waters and Kishore Mohan. or Dan Waters is the writer, Kishore Mohan is the artist. Uh, so it takes place in the early, early 20th century, and um, Paris sees a rash of impossible killings. Uh, two art thieves then stumble upon portraits of the victims damaged in the exact same manner they died. Uh, the man who painted the portrait of Dorian Gray has returned. Uh, this book sounds phenomenal. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that sounds incredible. <laughs> I hate the picture of Dorian Gray. This sounds better. <laughs> What's your problem against uh, Dorian Gray? Oh, um, where do you want me to start? Um, <laughs> um, I wrote this really scathing Goodreads review, and I'm just going to um, guide you to that. I-, I gave it a two-star rating. Oh, wow. Um, it's the only book I, so I read it a really long time ago and I remember not liking it. And then somebody was talking about it not long ago and I was like, Oh, it's short. I'll listen to the audiobook of it. And I actually, while listening to the audiobook at my desk said, Oh my God, shut up out loud. <laughs> <laughs> like talking to my audiobook and my coworker at the time, like leaned over and she looked at me and she's like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, Oh my God, not you. <laughs> Sorry, I was talking to Oscar Wilde. Like, <laughs> like for such a short novel, there are so many words that don't mean a thing. <laughs> like, I love the premise of Dorian Gray. And like, if someone wants to sit down and like tell me the story of Dorian Gray, I would probably be like enamored with it. But like when I have to read Oscar Wilde talk about it, it makes me want to dig out my eyeballs with rusty spoons. <laughs> I just don't like Oscar Wilde. That's just what it boils down to. (laughs) So tonight's the night that we learned that Tabitha has beef with Oscar Wilde. Is this not beef with Oscar Mayer? (laughs) (laughs) I think you get a shame. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I do. Lydia Bell. (laughs) Lydia. Shame. (laughs) Speaking of Lydia, she's not here tonight because she's celebrating her mom's birthday. So I guess we should, you know, wish her mom a happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. So, uh, but back to the picture of everything else, which I really hope <laughs> will be uh, rated much higher on Tabitha's Goodreads. Uh, it's going to hit st- shelves in December of 2020. So, uh, moving on, Valiant uh, has announced Bloodshot's uh, One Last Shot. It's the final arc from uh, author uh, Tim Seeley's run. This arc is also going to feature two characters from the recent movie, movie uh, Wilford Wiggins and KT. So one last shot sees Bloodshot ready to leave humanity behind, but Wiggins calls him back. Uh, Bloodshot's one of those books that I keep saying, hey, I want to check out. And especially with Tim Seeley, I've loved everything that I've read from him. Uh, I want to definitely check this out. Also, the art uh, that they include with this press release is phenomenal. So I really want to get caught up by December so I can check that out. <laughs> so a uh, couple books to talk about. First one is out now from vault. Uh, it's called the autumnal and it's written by Daniel Krauss and art by Chris Sheehan. Uh, so basically this follows Kat and her daughter, Sybil who leave Chicago for comfort notch, New Hampshire, uh, following the death of her estranged mother. Uh, this is part of their uh, vaults uh, horror lineup. And this is my kind of horror. Like I felt uneasy the entire time I was reading this, um, <laughs> especially when, once they get to comfort notch, uh, this isn't a spoiler, but I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like there's that scene where they've got like the, uh, the kids like chalk drawings and everything. Mm-hmm. Did you guys notice the, like the famous mm-hmm. S mm-hmm. that like no, before the internet, everyone mm-hmm. still knew about this S. But anyway, <laughs> I just, I thought that was a fantastic touch. Um, but yeah, I was, especially towards, especially at the end, I was creeped out. 
I'm like, I'm ready for more. I want more of this in my life. Uh, Matt, I know you were also really excited about this book. What'd you think? Yeah, I really enjoyed this. This is definitely one of those that I think is going to be a slow burn kind of horror. Um, because at least for me, as much as there was that, like, that sense of uneasiness as I went through, it really didn't, like, you really got the shock at the very end. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that, the very end of it, and obviously not to spoil it for anybody that hasn't read it, but, like, that's where I was like, yep, now I'm sold, now I'm in, now I gotta know what's going on. The other thing I will mention is I kind of noticed this, maybe because of the preview version that we got, and I was looking at the pages across the bottom of my iPad, um, but there's a very cool, like color gradient. Gra- yeah, mm-hmm. color gradient as this issue goes along. It starts out a cool blue and ends up like a, a brownish orange, and like it's very subtle. And mm-hmm. I love the way that that happened. Mm-hmm. Nice. Tabitha, what do you think? Yeah, that was my favorite thing because I didn't <laughs> notice it at the bottom of my like screen, but like as I was flipping through, like that like blue tone thing. It's in movies. It's in comics. Every time. It makes me tired. It always does. It gives me eye fatigue. And so I'm scrolling and then it like starts to brighten up slightly, slightly, slightly. And then it's just like all these beautiful fall colors once they arrive to her old, old hometown. Also, I was slightly triggered because like your mother dying and needing to go back to your creepy hometown. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote this about me? Um, but yeah, like... This has like those eerie slow burn horror vibes mm. that I love. Like I like a jump scare horror movie, but for a horror book, I want it to like keep me on the edge and not give me anything until right at the end. And that's exactly what this did. You know, and I'm going to say this, and I think part of the reason that already this is that slow burn feeling is because it is Daniel Krause. Like he just finished, I think that book with, uh, like based on George A. Romero's uh, Night of the Living Dead. He's written other horror novels. Um, so, I mean, this is his bread and butter. Yeah. So. Also, real quick, um, I wasn't initially going to review these just because we had a lot of other things to talk about, but Matt, being the star pupil that he is, also <laughs> also read the other two uh, new releases from Vault that we got this week, which were Engine Ward and Shadow Service. Uh, Matt, give us a quick, uh, quick review of what you thought of both of those. I mean, Engine Ward, um, I just love the, like, like the mix of genres that's going on with this, this story. Um, and finally, as you get to issue three, um, you, you see the real like overarching story on where this is going. Um, you know, there's, you find out that there is a, basically something that will allow their planet to like return to prosperity um, with water and food and all those things, but they have to go find it. And obviously there'd be more things that come as part of that. Um, But this is again, the one that has the, um, the gods that are based on the, uh, what's the symbols, the astrology symbols. and you get more um, tenuousness from them as they realize that their uh, position as gods of this world may be in danger, which I enjoyed. Um, yes, definitely ready for more of that one as well. And what about um, Shadow Service? Oh, Shadow Service, this, the first one was good. The second one is even better because it expands on the story. Um, <clears throat> you get more creepy horror like sci-fi type elements to this um and you get a a look in behind um the mi666 that they tease um in that first issue so this is just going to continue to be a favorite for me this is one that i have to find hard copies of because i i need to keep going with this so uh out September 29th from Oni Press is Agratsuko, Metal to the Max. It's mm-hmm. written by Daniel Barnes, Brenda Hickey, and Jarrett Williams, with art by DJ Kirkland, Brenda Hickey, Jarrett Williams, Sarah Stern, and CJ uh, Cannon. So uh, this is, and I, and, and I apologize, I'm not for sure 
if the comic came first before the Netflix show or the Netflix show came first before the comic. But either way, uh, there is a uh, Netflix cartoon that is same name, same characters, everything. It follows Retsuko, who is a red panda who works in a thankless office job, but relieves stress by singing heavy metal at a local karaoke spot. Uh, Matt, you posted on your Instagram page. I want to start with you on this one because you had a uh, interesting take on it. I love this. This is... I feel like this is kind of me. Like, if I were to give it you karaoke, this would be me. This is fantastic. Um, I I think Retsuko is one of my new favorite characters. Um, she just goes through and deals with the normal humdrum of the business world and then takes out her aggression um, in heavy metal. And it's <laughs> it strikes a chord. I think that's fantastic. Um, I, I don't know. I love this. I love the art. I love her as a character. Um it's it, it's it kind of reminded me that that uh the gudetama that we read uh not that long ago where it was not really what i expected when i started this but i'm here for it and i kind of want to go watch the netflix series now tabitha what about you we're just steady reading stuff that triggers me this week <laughs> um because that part of this book where she's at work and people are like, can you do this? Can you do this? How about this? And like, everything's happening. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel you. I feel that. And then like, I read it on my lunch and then I had to go back to work where everybody was like, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? So that wasn't super relaxing for me, but I enjoyed this. And I agree with Matt. Like, I know some people that are like super obsessed with this character and like, especially the Netflix TV show. Um, now I want to give it a shot because I don't think I really understood what it was about. But now that I do, I just want, I just want more, except maybe less office stress in my reading <laughs> since I have office stress in my life. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I about midway through, I had to pause so that I could go on to Netflix and add this to my queue because I was like, yes, I, I cannot forget about <laughs> this cartoon. Yeah. This book was so fun. Uh the the stories the stories you know were standalone or whatever you know it wasn't like one big book so the first the first story kind of hit a little close to home when it was called what like the sea disease or whatever yeah and featured all the her coworkers turning into zombies because they got sick because they refused to take a sick day or whatever and i'm like <laughs> like <laughs> this is like 2020 in comic book form um, but but yeah like i i thought it was hilarious uh the 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 humor is right up my alley and um yeah just like to see like this normally you know like cute harmless panda bear like just turning into like this metal goddess is like yes this is amazing so I have to ask, Mitch, did you, I'm assuming you caught in the third story where the character's name was Karen and yep. then they went to a restaurant and yep. she unloaded on the server. <laughs> I was ready for it. The, the second she said her name, I was like, oh, this is coming. She even kind of had a Karen haircut a little she bit. She kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved how she was a goose because she was from Canada. <laughs> that was my favorite part like it took me a minute and then like the scenes where she was talking and like Egret Suko was like not like <laughs> listening and it was just honking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which and it makes sense that a Canadian goose was a Karen because you know like Canadian geese are jerks like <laughs> true but they're so cute. Not really. Not really. I have a soft spot for Canadian geese. See, remember, you know, like, the, there was that three-month span or whatever when we worked together, Tabitha, and, like, I would take my lunch breaks, and I would, like, make a big walk around that, you know, kind of business park lot or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and those geese, like, they were relentless. Like, <laughs> they wouldn't move. I would I would end up walking across the street just to avoid them because I was terrified that I was going to come back into work with like my dress pants like ripped to shreds and everything because I got attacked <laughs> by a goose. They've attacked people in the parking lot of my office building before. I, like they straight up attack people. 
I'm not surprised. I still think they're cute. <laughs> because you would attack those people if you could, right? If I was a goose. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things I would do if I was a goose. Lots of things I would poop on. Lots of people I would poop on. Lots of people I would attack. So. <laughs> Happier so. days. The days when I'm a goose. Maybe that's what I'll reincarnate as. I was just about to say. So if reincarnation is a thing, you're going to like <laughs> put in a request. Can, 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 I, can I be a goose? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I'd like to be a goose this time. Thanks. <laughs> so speaking of uh, birds, our last uh, book that we're going to review is called Chasing the Bird. Uh, Charlie Parker in California. It's also out September 29th from Z2 Comics. Uh, the story and art is by uh, David uh, uh, Chisholm. So Chase and the Bird follows Charlie Parker and his stint in L.A. during the mid-1940s. Uh, Tabitha, we'll start with you. What do you think so far? So, so far, I, I love this. Like, it's, it's all my favorite things. It's jazz. It's historical. It's, like, this beautiful, gorgeous art style. Like... I'm, I'm reading it and I'm still kind of in the middle of it, but what's taking me so long is like, usually I kind of skim read comics. Like I don't look at all the pictures, like everything I'm ending up on in here, I'm like looking at like my favorite thing so far is when he's playing the music notes are these perfect rectangles and squares kind of like compiled on top of each other. And it's just like, it's so creative and it's so well done. And like, I just, I want to finish it. It's just, it's beautifully told the jumping back and forth between, or like every chapter being told from like a different perspective of someone who was around Charlie Parker during this time. Like you're getting all these little insights into why he was the way he was and his life. And it's just, every character mm -hmm. has their own voice. It's very specific. It's very like eloquently written. Like this is just, this is great so far. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with you. I haven't finished this book yet, but uh, one of the things that I really loved about it, and uh, and I'm not, I, I've heard of Charlie Parker, but I don't really know that much about you know about him as a musician or anything like that. Um, I mean, I know that he owns a you know famous restaurant here in Springfield. Um, <laughs> little little Springfield, Illinois humor for you there. Um, <laughs> But one of the things that I absolutely love about this book is that how each chapter, you're right, Tabitha, it's told by a different perspective. But not only is it told by a different perspective, the art is different with each chapter. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing because it's all the same artist, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, it's, it's phenomenal that you're able to, you know, have that much of a, you know, like, plan or whatever for this for this book i mean it could have been very easily he could have easily just had you know like just the same art style the same color palette or whatever all the right. way through and it would still be good but that just adds another layer to it uh matt what about what do you think i honestly don't know that i have anything to add because so far I've, i'm not done with this yet either but i'm absolutely going to finish this because i like you mitch i knew of charlie parker but i didn't know essentially much of anything about him or his story. And the way this is told is just fantastic. The art is gorgeous. Um, it's, it's already just an incredibly well-told story. And I'm just looking forward to like seeing this all play out. All right, guys, it is time for gut reaction. Oof, gut reaction. And we're going to start tonight with Matt and the WandaVision trailer. So we have finally gotten a WandaVision trailer and information that this is officially going to be released on Disney plus before the end of 2020. Um, I think my favorite part about this trailer is the <clears throat> black and white segments that are very reminiscent of the Dick Van Dyke show, because I just, I grew up with the Dick Van Dyke show watching it Nick at night. And I love that. Um, my concern is that plot wise, I don't really know where this is going or what to expect from this. So as much as I love Scarlet Witch and as much as I love, especially Paul Bettany as Vision, <clears throat> I am kind of lost on what to expect from this series 
So I'm going to go thumb sideways. Oh, I'm giving this a thumbs up. Um, I, I agree with you. I'm not entirely sure where we're going with it. Uh, there is speculation that this is going to be the MCU's version of House of M. Um, but I'm here for it. And the supporting cast that we've kind of seen, the uh, like the mom from that 70s show is featured in the yeah. movie. And I'm pretty sure, did I see, uh, is it Anna Gasteyer, who was on SNL yep. for a long time? Yeah, yep. I had no idea that either of them were in there, and I love both of them. So, like, yes, give this to me right now. Tabitha. Um, by this trailer, it looks like they're obviously, like, hopping around in time. And maybe in, like, television time. Like, popular sitcom-y things. And, like, I need to, I need to know how this is going to work for me to give this a full thumbs up because this trailer looks great and it looks funny and it looks entertaining, but like the jumping around makes me nervous. Like I'm worried I'm not like, I'm worried we're going to get like a bunch of little mini episodes instead of like a cohesive like, story. Yeah. Like a, like a story arc. Like, I don't know. I need, I need to know more. Um, this is also one of those things that's going to get put on my to watch list and I'm going to forget about it and never watch it because of who I am. However, mm. I am with Matt, like her, like pouring the wine with like her power reminded me of an episode of Bewitched <laughs> where Tabitha's in, or Samantha, no, Samantha's in the kitchen <laughs> trying to, Tabitha is me, uh, Samantha, <laughs> Samantha's in the kitchen trying to like get dinner ready and she's like pouring wine and stuff and one of the kids comes and like knocks the bottle over. So it's like, oh, like little nostalgia in there. And again, reminds me of Dick Van Dyke, which yeah. I also watched as a kid. So I'm going to give it a shot if I remember to watch it, but I can't give it a full thumbs up yet. Uh, Tabitha, all the old knives. So Amazon is producing an adaptation of All the Old Knives by Olin Steinhauer, uh, Chris Pine, and Fandy Newsom. Fandy? Tandy, there we go. Newton will star. Um, the author has actually adapted the screenplay, so that's a good thing. And James Metz will be directing. I had never heard of this. I'd never heard of the book. I'd never heard that this was going to come out. So I'm just going to read you guys the description. Uh, the story is set in a town, in the town of Carmel by the Sea, and follows ex-lovers. One is a CIA spy and one is an ex-spy who meet over dinner to reminisce on their time together at Vienna Station. The conversation moves inevitably to the disastrous hijacking of Royal Jordanian Flight 127, which ended in the deaths of all on board. That failure haunts the CIA to this day, and Henry has come to Carmel to close the book on that CD chapter. As they parry flirting over California cuisine, it becomes clear that one of them is not going to survive the meal. So there's no release date yet, but now I have to read this book before this movie comes out because I love a good spy novel. And this, this sounds super interesting. I'm like, I want to read it before I make a decision on if I'm going to watch the movie or not, but I'm going to give it a very cautious thumbs up. Matt. Uh, I too, like have never heard of this, but it sounds super interesting. And if you can do a spy novel, that's different, it's not just like, another mission impossible, then I, I'm in for it. I want to, I want to know, I want to know more. I want to read this. Um, <clears throat> and Chris Pine, Thandie Newton. I, yeah, I, I think I'm in for this. So thumbs up. I'm going to go thumbs sideways. Spy movies are not my favorite. I don't dislike them. They're just not ever like on my, the top of my to watch list. Uh, but that said, you're right. It, it sounds like a different kind of spy movie. So I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm intrigued and hopefully it's full of intrigue. <laughs> <laughs> so this next story is, uh, it's a rumor and it's been shot down by Paramount, but I still included it. Uh, so Paramount Pictures, according to this rumor, is said to be done with Star Trek movies. It's canceling Star Trek Four and the Quentin Tarantino project that may or may not ever be a thing. Uh, Paramount has then since said, uh, nah, brah, like we're still like totally committed to these Star Trek movies. My words, not theirs. Um, I'm going to go... I Paramount to come out with a statement that just says, nah, brah. <laughs> Um, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, I feel like 
enough time has passed with the Chris Pine, the, the Kelvin universe, where, yes, I want more Star Trek, Star Trek movies, but maybe I want a different direction. Maybe I want a reboot of The Next Generation, and that might just be because that's, you know, that's my bread and butter. Um, maybe I want a Star Trek movie with a whole new cast that is, you know, kind of follows Deep Space Nine and Voyager and, you know, like, you know, the the immediate after effects of, of, of those shows. So, I mean, if, if this rumor were, if this rumor were true, I think I'd go thumbs up on it. Tabitha. Um, I agree with you because, okay, so while I, I, do, I do want more Star Trek movies, I will always want more Star Trek movies, I'm tired of the same Star Trek movies over and over and over. And I would kill for a completely new Star Trek universe in film and not TV. Like, new captain, new adventure, new everything. Maybe, you know, do kind of what uh, Lower Decks is doing and, like, every once in a while mention something that you're, like, familiar with if you're, like, a Star Trek nerd and you chuckle and not everybody else might chuckle. Like, give me that. Give me a new, give me a new next generation. Give me the next next generation. Um, so if they were done, I wouldn't be super brokenhearted, but I want something new from them. So thumb sideways. Matt. Yeah. I, I think Paramount has proven with this most recent iteration that even though it was a different time stream, um, same captain, you know, something that we have seen, they have been able to handle the Star Trek property successfully, which when they first started this back up again, there was that concern, you know, could they do this right, pay homage, but bring it forward. Um, and we've, they've proven that they can do that. But I think I have to agree with Tabitha that like, I, if, if they don't go back to the whole, Kirk, Chris Pine scenario, I'm not going to be super brokenhearted. And I do, I like, like, like lower decks, you know, essentially the same thing. Like give me something a little bit different um, because they've proven they can handle Star Trek. So why not go off on a tangent and do a new captain, a new ship, something like that. Um, but yeah, overall, I think probably thumb sideways. Uh, Matt, let's talk about Suicide Squad coming to HBO Max. So the Suicide Squad by James Gunn isn't out yet, isn't going to be out for a while. Um, but in that trailer teaser thing that we saw a couple weeks ago, um, we've been introduced to John Cena's character of Peacemaker. <clears throat> and it has been announced that he is getting an eight episode HBO Max spinoff series. Uh, it's going into production early next year and it will tie into the movie. But uh, apart from that and being John Cena in this role, there's really not anything else coming. Um, I, this is, this is going to go a solid thumb sideways for me because like we haven't seen the movie we don't know what this character, aside from the tag of being a douchey super, a douchey Captain America, like, what are we, what is this? What is, who is he? What are we going to get? I don't know. I'm solidly in the middle on this. I just don't know what to think. Yeah. I'm also going to go thumb sideways. I really like this idea, especially because this is a character that we didn't see in the first Suicide Squad. And I like that James Gunn is trying his best to enhance this group uh, and to that also so that we can kind of see different sides of these characters and everything. Uh, I love the idea of a mini series that ties into this movie. Uh, I understand why they're waiting until after the movie, but I almost wish that we got this before the movie comes out so yeah. that we would be able to go into this movie knowing who this character is and what he's about. But, uh, but yeah, thumbs sideways, but kind of up. Tabitha. I'm a sucker for a backstory. Love a backstory. Um, I don't like that this is randomly on HBO Max because HBO Max is one of the most expensive streaming services. So if you do want that prior knowledge or post knowledge <clears throat> or whatever, like you then have to go 
pay for HBO Max or sign up for like a 30, whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm tired of paying for subscription services. The end. <laughs> uh, but also, I, I like, I, I, part of me feels like maybe they had an idea for like a movie about this character and it got shot down. So now they're just like, man, let's sell it to HBO and make a TV show. I like that. Like you still did something with your, like your idea. So I'm going to go thumb sideways because I'm not paying for it. <laughs> I'm not paying money to watch John Cena and just John Cena because <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> And plus, you won't see anything, so... Exactly! Can't see whatever he's... Y'all, I hate pro wrestling. <laughs> Every time we talk about John Cena, like, my insides, like, cringe. It's awful. <laughs> so, so, Supergirl is ending with a 20-episode season 6 and will premiere mid-season 2021. Uh, no reason has been get, uh, given yet for the cancellation. Uh, I'm giving a thumbs down because I know that a lot of people are going to be upset about this because I know that a lot of people do really like this show. But at the same time, depending on the reason for the cancellation, I am giving a thumbs up because uh, hopefully this means that A, they're going to be able to tell the story that they want to tell with this final season and also be that they're not dragging it on and 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 on. So Tabitha. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like, I feel like from what I've heard from people who do really enjoy the show is like the plot for things has kind of come to like a standstill. So this is probably a good time for this to happen. Um, I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I I don't like it when TV shows are, you know, past their prime and drug out just for ratings for like the 20 people who were dedicated. So thumbs up for this. Matt. Yeah. I'm also going to go thumbs up just for the fact that there are too many times where TV shows get extra seasons to cash in on the merchandise mm-hmm. or like you know something like that um instead of doing what we seem to have seen with netflix where it's like you know oh this is really popular but we've told the story that we want to tell so we're going to be done mm-hmm. so i'm hoping that's why they're doing it so in that hope i'm going to go thumbs up <clears throat> tabitha let's talk about a psalm for the wild built Okay, so this is like the most exciting thing that's happened to me all week. Um, Hugo Award winner Becky Chambers, who wrote one of my favorite sci-fi novels of all time, A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, um, has a new series coming out. Um, A Psalm for the Wild Built is going to be book one in her Monk and Robot series that is releasing in July of 2021. I could never do this justice, so I'm just going to read the description from Tor.com's website. Um... It's been centuries since the robots of Panga gained self-awareness and laid down their tools. Centuries since they wandered en masse into the wilderness, never to be seen again. Centuries since they faded into myth and urban legend. One day, the life of a tea monk is upended by the arrival of a robot there to honor the old promise of checking in. The robot cannot go back until the question of what do people need is answered. But the question to that The answer to that question depends on who you ask and how, and they're going to need to ask it a lot. Um, This sounds fantastic. And I've, I am obsessed with Becky Chambers. Like she writes the single greatest characters that I have ever read in my entire life. And she puts them in a sci-fi setting that doesn't feel overly sci-fi you get to know the characters so you feel like either you're in their universe or they're in yours she writes these incredible diverse like just families like she basically makes a family out of every single sci-fi story she writes i can't wait for this like this sounds absolutely fantastic i'm all my thumbs up (laughs) all of them so until you mentioned the the robot and monk. Mm-hmm. I forgot that I had seen almost like a teaser for this. I don't even know when a while back, but I mean, Becky Chambers is just a fantastic author and pretty much anything that she does is, is going to be an instant buy. Um, so I'm, I'm in for this thumbs up. 
Yeah, you had me at Monk and Robot. That sounds phenomenal. <laughs> I didn't realize that Archie Comics was kind of a leader in the um, digital comics game. Back in 2010, they were the first publisher to make digital releases available uh, the same day as print comics. Oh. They're taking that kind of a step further now, um, starting with this week's uh, Sabrina. So they are the first major comic book publisher to release comics to streaming services, namely uh, Comixology Unlimited, the same day it's released in print and, and digitally. So for instance, like Marvel and DC, I think the turnaround is like six months between the actual on sale date and when they show up on streaming. Uh, Comixology Unlimited is $5.99 a month with access to 25,000 comics, graphic novels, and manga. Uh, I'm giving this a thumbs down. I, I understand the idea behind it. And with the way that everything else in this world is moving to a streaming platform, I get that this is where the, the world is going, but, uh, but I mean, but I, the people listening can't see, but I mean, but you guys can see like my stack of comic books behind me and my stack of, you know, like graphic novels and everything. Like I prefer physical stuff and this is just, I, I, I fear that if this takes off the way that digital comics in general has taken off, that's just going to be one more nail in the coffin of, print comics and local comic book shops. So I, I'm not here for it. Tabitha. We said the same thing when the e-readers came out though. Like everybody was freaking out that we weren't going to have real books anymore. And like, there were like people buying like crazy people buying like Amazon Kindles. And like when they first came out in the Kobo or whatever that mm. thing was, and <clears throat> literally burning them because they thought it was going to make print books go away. You can't see behind me, but uh, <laughs> there's probably over a thousand books in this house, like where we don't have that problem. And so I, I seriously doubt that that's the way this is going to go. I like this because while like we live in a weird world, I can get online and order a book from God help me, Amazon or wherever, and it can be here fairly quickly. But like, and I know you can do the same thing with comics, but we have, we have, children that run around that don't have access to comic books, but guess what they do have access to? Every child has a tablet. Like we're in 2020, like if they can download it and read it, like, I don't know. I'm torn because part of me agrees with you that like support your local comic shops, but also like we're in 2020. It's good to have the option. You don't have to buy them this way, but it is good to have the option. So one thumb up and one thumb down. <laughs> <laughs> Matt um, I think I'm going to go straight in the middle essentially for all of the reasons said um, <clears throat> yes there is a little bit of fear of you know the local comic book shop um, I do love some of those um, stories and single issues and having the physical copies in my hand to read um, but at the same time there are for me advantages to say a $5.99 comic book streaming service because I would go through those and I will probably read other series that I wouldn't normally pay for the physical copy of with the streaming service. Like if I had comic, uh, comicsology unlimited for $5.99 a month, I probably would go and read some of these RG titles that I don't, they're not necessarily enough in my wheelhouse where I would go buy a physical copy. So in that regard, it would open up more, more artists, more writers, more stories um, that I would enjoy than just the ones that I want enough to buy the physical copies of. Uh, Matt, let's talk about John Boyega. So, <clears throat> I mean, John Boyega has not sat still, apparently, during this entire pandemic quarantine. Um, cause I feel like every couple of weeks we're talking about something new that he's stamped his name on. Um, but, uh, Sylvian, uh, Nouvelle's not novella, the test is going to be adapted by entertainment one drama. There actually isn't any word on this, whether it's going to be for TV or for movie. Um, but we have found out that Gavin Hood 
is going to be directing this. <clears throat> um, Gavin Hood directed uh, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, and Ender's Game. Um, and then we have John Boyega and Payman Mahdi are attached to star, to star in this. Um, it's a thriller about an immigrant taking a citizen evaluation test and a brilliant behavioral psychologist who supervises said test. Um, I have not read this. This is definitely has been on my to be read list. Uh, it's probably even higher now since John Boyega is interested. <laughs> um, uh, the, the synopsis is, is essentially this Britain in the not too distant future. Idir is sitting the British citizenship test. He wants to, he wants his family to belong 25 questions to determine their fate, 25 chances to impress. When the test takes an unexpected and tragic turn, Idir is handed the power of life and death. How do you value a life when all you have is multiple choice? I, this this sounds super intriguing to me. Like I, I want to know how this all plays out. And like I said, John Boyega is attached. Thumbs up. Uh, I'm gonna go thumb sideways. Uh, it's just the 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 description just. It doesn't sound like it's for me. I don't think that it'd be something that I particularly am interested in, but it sounds like it's still an, an interesting project for other people. So, Tapta. I'm going to give this a thumbs up. Like, I have one or two of this author's books up yeah. there. Uh, I've not read them because, you know, never-ending TBR. But um, I know that this writer has, like, the, the background to produce a story. And, this, I mean, this is my kind of story so this sounds great especially with John Boyega attached to it so I'm going to give it a thumbs up too. Tabitha last story for gut reaction uh what did you and you and McGregor do? Uh he did the cutest thing in the entire world that's what he did and <laughs> while we've been sitting here recording the football game has been playing and there was actually just a preview for Ewan McGregor's new show Long Way Up so in promotion of that show he did a zoom meeting with Jimmy Fallon on the Tonight Show and performed a trick uh, his new show is basically him riding his motorcycle around the world and doing cute Ewan McGregor things. Um, but he, he pegged it to, uh, Jimmy Fallon as he was going to do a trick that not even evil, evil Knievel could do. Like, it's just like the greatest trick ever. Is he ready? He's like, I'm going to jump over myself on my motorcycle. <laughs> and of course, Jimmy Fallon is like, what? Uh, turns out by himself, he meant a 12 inch Obi-Wan Kenobi action figure. <laughs> <laughs> so he like rode up this little ramp on this tiny little motorcycle and jumped over an obi-wan kenobi action figure and it's just it's the best thing <laughs> and at the end he basically said he was like that's the best shot i've ever filmed in my entire acting career <laughs> i love Ewan mcgregor i'm gonna make some time to watch this show because Ewan mcgregor um <laughs> giant thumbs up this is just he, he looks like that kind of person you just want to hang out with. And like, now I just want to hang out with him while he does dumb tricks on his motorcycle. <laughs> Matt. Yeah, I need to get a pint down at the pub <laughs> with Ewan McGregor. Uh, thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, this sounds phenomenal. Um, yeah, for sure. 100% thumbs up. <clears throat> so uh, one last thing I want to talk about before we get to... We're not going to have time for all of our stories, so we're going to have one last story after this. Uh, so Hope for the Day and Sip of Hope Coffee Bar uh, host a live weekly mental health podcast called Conversations Cafe. So on October 22nd, they are going to have an episode titled uh, Gaming for Mental Health. Uh, it's at 6 p.m., like I, and like I said, it's live, and it's going to have uh, representatives from various gaming intersections uh, to share insights and stories of resilience. Uh, I think we've talked a lot of times about how, you know, games in general help with, you know, with, with mental health and, you know, have all sorts of benefits that, you know, uh, some people just don't see. They just see like, oh, well, he's just playing his <laughs> Xbox again. Like, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that, that's not, you know. Um, so I think it's fantastic that they are, kind of branching out to this other like hey here's this other aspect and here's how this helps and whatever um but yeah i i think it's phenomenal and i hope to be able to check that out it's awesome yeah so all right so like i said we got time for one more story do you guys want to talk about a cyber attack uh 
a U.S. representative teaming up with a Gundam uh, statue? Or do you want to talk about the COVID helmet? Um, I'm going to downvote my own story because it's <laughs> depressing. So let's not talk about the cyber, ha- cyber attack. Let's just say don't go to hospitals in Dusseldorf. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't on my list to begin with, but I definitely won't now. Okay, good. No, I don't want that. <laughs> I either one. I... <laughs> All right. Um, let's let's talk about the COVID helmet because <laughs> I was looking at this and oh oh dear oh dear. This is bizarre. Yes, I I don't I don't know. Um, it's a full-headed bubble helmet. It's it's so hard to kind of describe what this thing even looks like. It basically, I, I keep picturing like a clear plastic Easter egg that you wear <laughs> on your head. Like that's looking. That's what I keep thinking when I look at these pictures. Um, it looks like it comes out of a sci-fi movie. Um, it's well, from Microclimate, and they're calling it the quote Air Helmet A I R. Um. It's been primarily designed for traveling. The, the article I mentioned, I read also says that it kind of looks like a transparent version of a Daft Punk helmet, <laughs> which is super on the nose. Um, like it, it's got like a, uh, almost like a gator uh, kind of thing that goes around your neck, slides over the top of your head. Um, this thing has its own ventilation system. It has Fans that filter, that pump air in and out of the helmet. There are filters for inlet and outlet air through HEPA filters, um, which they've said if you're like in the helmet, it creates this nice light breeze. So that helps so you don't fog up this helmet the the moment you put this thing on. (laughs) Um, it, It lasts for about four hours. Which, if it's for travel only, I mean, don't go anywhere super far, I guess, because, you know, if it's only going to last for four hours, then you're going to suffocate. It does come with a carrying case. It's $199 for this helmet, which, I don't know. Like, part of me says I've spent more money on dumber stuff, but part of me says that's a lot of money for, I don't know, something kind of dumb. Um. Right now, it's only available in white. It's going to be available in black. Um, oh, I should mention, you can use this while it's charging from the USB-C cable. So I don't know where exactly you're going to plug this in while you're traveling in your car. Or just get like that one of those feels... backup battery packs like people yeah. have for their... But if you're going to wear this in your car, doesn't that limit your visibility? And that's probably not a well, good thing when you're driving. Take it off and put it in your seat and charge it. Yeah. I'm getting one. I don't know why. Oh, are you? Yes. <laughs> I'm not that worried about COVID, honestly. I don't know that it'll help me there. But by God, this would help my allergies. Like, nobody <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going to live in this thing. Like, I'm going to eat, sleep breathe drive work bathe everything in this thing my own personal hepa filter this is literally what i've been looking for my entire life (laughs) also i can't smell anybody i can be like i can pretend like i can't hear people like this is this is what i like you can't hear people now that's just you um like (laughs) (laughs) this is what i've been waiting for like, this is where I've been waiting for technology to get us. My own personal astronaut helmet so I can breathe outdoors. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. When they do come out with the, the black uh, version, are you going to get both? That way you can kind of, like, coordinate? Um, probably not. I w- well, <laughs> you maybe. pretty much wear black and gray anyway. True. So. <laughs> maybe. Um, because my thought process is like, if I want to be outside for a really long time, I'll get two. And then I'll just like quickly, I'll like have one charged and like wear one and then be like swap and then charge the other one. Well, I got a plan. And like, they're, they don't look that uncomfortable. Like granted, my peripheral vision is going to be trash. So I'm going to run into stuff, but at <laughs> least I'll be able to breathe. I wouldn't gonna... sneeze. 
What, what are you going to do for like the 30 seconds when you're changing helmets, though, and you have to smell things? Hold your breath. <laughs> hold my breath. <gasps> I can hold my breath for 30 seconds. I'll be fine. And also, $200, I've definitely spent $200 on way dumber things. <laughs> way I dumber. mean, same. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're all going to need these for C2E2 next year. Oh, yeah. We can just all go as Daft Punk. There we go. That's our cosplay. There we go. So uh, I guess now would be a good time to plug that Patreon page. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, or uh, Dear Air, are you looking for sponsors? <laughs> I sign up. We'll even put stickers on them, like logo stickers. Oh, yeah. We could sell them as advertising space. I'll do anything you want to get two of these. <laughs> <laughs> anything? Like, what would you do for Klondike Bar is now going to be, what would you do for an air helmet? (laughs) (laughs) Some pretty sketchy stuff. (laughs) Tabitha, why were you gone for like six hours during C2E2? There was somebody that had to be taken out. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I had to take care of a thing. (laughs) You already know too much. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that's going to do it for this issue of or this issue. That's not no, no. That that's this is what happens when I try to go off book because I put my my notebook away and everything. I was just going to like do my little sign off and be like, because I got it memorized and clearly I don't, but it's all right. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this episode of the Geek Awakens. Uh, we'll be back next week, but in the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we'll be posting stuff throughout the week. Uh, while you're there, give us some feedback and tell us what cool stuff we're missing out on. Uh, from all of us at the Geek Awakens, thanks for listening, and we hope to catch you next time. Everybody say bye. Bye. bye.